You're listening to the Solo to CEO podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to the Solo to CEO podcast, where we provide a mix of powerful, thought-provoking, and practical information to assist you in your transformation from solo to CEO of a high-impact, wealth-generating business. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here today with Catherine Mazahari france attorney and CEO of the Mazahari Law Firm. Mazahari Law Firm is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and is focused on providing family and employment law services and general civil litigation. Welcome, Catherine. It's so good to have you here as our guest on the Solo to CEO podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Um, So you and I have known each other for a little while now, and um, uh, I'm so glad to have you here to tell us about your law practice. You have... um, a really interesting mix of services. And I'd love to hear more about that because a lot of times when I talk with family lawyers, um, you'll hear them talk about doing family family law and maybe um, estate planning. But you, you actually do family law and employment law services and a lot of general sort of civil litigation. So tell me about your law practice and the clients you serve and kind of why you chose this interesting uh, mix for your practice. When I first started at my practice, I just kind of, you know, I I wanted to start doing general civil litigation. And of course, there's always a need for family lawyers. And um, I did start out taking on a lot of family law cases right on. And then I realized that there was this need uh, in the community, and I had done a uh, internship in Washington D.C. while I was in law school for um, D.C. Employment Justice Center. And what I realized is that there just wasn't a whole lot of lawyers in the community that were taking on plaintiffs' uh, employment law cases here in Oklahoma City. And so I saw that there was um, there was a need. And um, and there was an interest on my part um, of being able to help kind of an underrepresented community uh, here in the city. So um, that just kind of flourished. And so um, that's probably why you, why you see that kind of interesting combination of, of those two practice areas. I just mm-hmm. really I went I went where the demand was. Right. Is that, is that a challenging um, area of practice? I mean, I know that uh, so often when I see attorneys take on that area of practice, they tend to gravitate to representing employers. And I know that you represent uh, plaintiffs. So tell me about that. What's that like for you? So I really like representing plaintiffs. It is challenging in the sense that you are taking the cases on a contingency basis. But I think the exciting part about practicing law is really being able to help people at the worst time in their life. And really, some of the worst times of our lives are not just divorce and, you know, child custody issues and that kind of, that goes with the family law practice. But In this case, it would be when you've lost your job and you've lost your job due to an unlawful action. 
and that might mean discrimination, that might mean sexual harassment, that might mean some unfair practices going on in the workplace. It's exciting to me. It is challenging to be able to help someone out. Of course, we have to interview each of our clients before we take them because that that is a risk every time you take a case on on a contingency or a percentage basis. But the reward, not just the monetary reward, it's also helping people and feeling like you're making a difference at the end of the day. Right, right. So there's a couple of questions, a couple of different directions I want to go here. Um, and so we're going to come back to the different, um, the different uh, areas that you cover in this, in this type of work. But I want to talk about the, the business uh, model and how that, how effective that's been for you, because you've also kind of set yourself up here with a really good business model with this having a, a contingency practice married to a, you know, or in combination with a retainer practice. Right. 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 So exactly. I, oh, I did that intentionally. Decision? Yeah. yeah. Tell me about that. I definitely did that intentionally. Um, I, I recognize that, the family law practice has to, it's more of a cash flow um, business. Um, when you're doing hourly work, it's depending on the time that you're working, but you also have to have a way to pay for the time that it's going to take for you to settle some of these contingency cases. So yeah, it's intentional that I kind of set up the practice that way. And I also look at when I take those contingency cases, you know, how I I look at how um, quickly I think the turnaround might be, and you know we we risk assess it, and um, that helps us in kind of weighing whether or not one we we take on let's say we take on um, you know a big employer or how long do we think it's going to take or do we think this is going to be heavily litigated or do we see that there's enough evidence that this might lead to a quicker settlement. So it's just about kind of really vetting out the clients that you choose and also about making sure that you can finance those cases as you're moving forward. Right. Right. And I had so many different questions going on in my head at the same time. I'm sitting here going, Ooh, I want to ask this. I want to ask that. And then they all just kind of like <laughs> last together. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of attorneys, when they're thinking of kind of coming up with this idea of having a retainer and a contingency, they, they think, oh, you know, family law and personal injury, right? And so it's really uh, a smart way to go to think of uh, this this type of practice with with uh, family law. So tell, give us an idea of how successful it's been for you. How, you know, how large is your firm? How many attorneys do you have working with you? So currently we have four attorneys, including myself, um, and we have um, a support staff as well. And so what it has been good for us in the way that um, we have been able to slowly and steadily grow, I really feel like as far as being able to take on kind of cases that I feel like at the end of the day are making a difference. It has 
it has helped us in that way because little by little I can see, okay, we have this kind of cash flow or we might need we might need to hire a few more attorneys to be billing in this particular area. And that way we're able to take on some of these other cases as well. Um, it's also about incentivizing your employees too. I mean, uh, one of the ways that I've set up my particular practice is I have some attorneys that just bill hourly. And then I have some attorneys that bill hourly, but also may collect a percentage on um, some of those contingency cases as well. So, it, you know, it, there's a different way of setting up um, even how your employees are paid and incentivized. And so you have, and so your attorneys, you kind of tailor it to their interest and what they're interested the type of law they're interested in practicing and and then you tie their compensation based on that, right? Yeah, and I think a lot of this, and, and you helped me out actually a lot with this, was really when I went to hire these particular people, um, putting it out there that I needed employees that had a heart for social justice, mm-hmm. that had similar values or goals um, in their own lives, maybe they have a, a willingness or need to make a difference. Um, they also see that there's a um, need for, you know, compassionate attorneys that are giving straightforward advice. They carry those similar values. And so when I went to hire people, I started looking for those particular qualities in uh, in the attorneys that I hired. And it's really led to having a really good cohesive team. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see how it's growing moving forward. Yeah. But you know, what's been very interesting is it doesn't mean that uh, it doesn't mean that you don't make money because right. I, it's so interesting. I was uh, seeing uh, a thread today where there was a discussion about, uh, sort of this social justice, let's use that term. They weren't using that term, but it, using the terms kind of giving back kind of thing. And so many attorneys believe it's an either or, like they can't do good work in the world unless they're suffering in the pocketbook. But that's really not the case. You just have to set it up in such a way that you you can keep the cash flow going until you get your money on the back end. That's right. That's exactly right. That's right. Exactly so you have right. to have good use, have good business principles in place, you know, to be able to do, to, to get fairly compensated, you know? Right. And, uh, and I think it's also about how you're delivering the service as well. Like if there's something if there's something that you just really don't like to do, but you know how to communicate with the client, you can make a difference in, well, hell, you can make a difference in the way that you serve a burger or, you know, you do any kind of customer service. Right. Um, and so really having a team and a staff that has a really good attitude and knows that every single person that walks in the store they are making a difference in their life, whether it's their worst day or 
it might be a happy day the next day, but um, just to have those kind of like-minded people around you on a daily basis, even if it's not your best day, you're still reminding each other that, you know, there's a better one down the, you know, down the line. And so, yeah, I think you can do, I think it's about having a good environment with people like a team that supports each other and also feeling like you're giving back in some way. And then, and really, yeah, you can still be successful in making money and being somewhat, you know, compassionate as well. Right. Right. Oh, we've been talking a lot about your, your team and you have, you do have a really great, you do have some really great lawyers and staff now, but it wasn't always that way. <laughs> no, it wasn't. You did have, you did have, uh, you know, you've had some bumps in the road along, all along the journey and getting where you are. So what are some things that you have done differently and things you wish you'd maybe done differently earlier <laughs> um, <laughs> that, you know, that have helped you to get to kind of this super team that you have now? Right. So, um, I'd say definitely in the beginning, I don't think I was as purposeful about the people that I needed for the particular positions that I needed. I don't think that I, I wasn't as strategic in even my job posting, frankly. Um, I felt like I, instead of putting out a very specific ad as to the type of person that I needed, um, I was just very general and I would get all different types of people and I'd waste a lot of time interviewing because it was not geared toward um, the type of person I was looking for. I mean, frankly, there's some people out there that are going to get really turned off if you put in your ad, I need someone with a heart for social justice. And right. And in being able to put out, put that out in the world and essentially say, this is the type of person I'm looking for, this type of like-minded person in this particular space that is going to have a heart for helping out plaintiffs, that is going to have a heart for helping out people in crisis. At that point, it really helped me hone in on, one, having a more limited pool to hire from, and two, just being able to just attract the right people. And yeah, I didn't always, and I didn't always do that. And I, I think, you know, that can lead to a lot of issues where people don't have um, job satisfaction or right. maybe people just, you know, they don't click as a team member with the other people on your team, or they just don't really like that area of law. Maybe they just needed a job. Right. So, and we underestimate, we underestimate how important it is to, you know, you, sometimes we think, oh, we just need a warm body or we just need somebody who has the, the technical skills to be able to do the job. But we underestimate how important it is to, for people to share the same values, uh, you know, and to share the, to f fit into the culture and, be on the same page with the work that we're doing here, you know, where, whatever that is, right. What are that shared, right. uh, that shared commitment to the work that we're doing, especially 
when as attorneys, when what you're doing, when somebody's livelihood or their life in some cases is on the line, right? Right. It's so important to have, have people who are drawn to the particular type of work. And yeah, not, not just drawn to it, but also have the commitment to communicate with the clients, to um, really give a, give a, you know, an excellent service to, to the people that come here and trust us with their problems. So I, I feel like what I've done at this point is been a lot more strategic about my interviews. Um, I, I think we talked about the good cop, bad cop scenario where, you know, I might go in an interview and then I'll have at least one attorney on my team also interview on the back end. And, um, and essentially there's always a two interview process and that really helps out in kind of being able to see different perspectives of that same person. And, you know, sometimes people go through two interviews and by the second one, they realize they don't want the job, (laughs) but you don't, you don't want someone that's not committed either. You know, you need to know that um, that person, it's gotta be a good fit for them too. It's gotta be a good fit for them too. Well, and, and, you know, there's nothing worse than, uh, you know, I've hired attorneys as well as being an attorney. I've hired attorneys and there's nothing worse than hiring an attorney and feeling like that attorney is not, doesn't really care about your situation and your case that they're just there. They just care about your money. And right. so knowing that you're hiring people who, who may, will make your clients that will be that extension for you and make sure that your clients feel like that they care about, about what their case and their matter and that that's important. You know, I, I think it's interesting, your good cop, bad cop scenario, just to be clear on that. <laughs> so you have, so you have this situation where, you interview them and then you have another attorney who has a very different personality from you interview yes. them. And she's almost <laughs> my opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so because you may, you're a very, you're a very nice person and you're two people who, when you're sitting there interviewing them, you'll make them feel very comfortable and they'll feel like, you know, they've been bathed in sugar or whatever when you're talking to them. And then this other person who's a bit more direct will interview them. And what the people you're interviewing don't realize is that you also are a very, uh, a taskmaster, you know? And right. so, you know, she knows that about you and she knows that you're going to hold them to a very high standard. So right. she's, really doing that reconnaissance for you to find out and, and, and also letting them know that you're really the, that going to have that expectation. So your two interview process really reveals, helps to reveal whether that person is going to, you know, actually fit in in that kind of environment um, with those high expectations, which is, which is excellent. It's excellent to have people with different types of personalities as part of your interview process, because it is common for people to interview, you know, it's just human nature for us to interview and try to hire people who are like us, right? Who we like and who are like us. I think it's so (laughs) important. I think it's 
so important in having your own practice to have someone that thinks very differently than you and to really take those things into consideration. You know, you as lawyers, you need the creative out of the box thinker and you also need the very procedural rule driven person as well. You know, you need and, and that doesn't mean, you know, the out of the box thinker doesn't follow the rules, but it does mean that they can be a lot more creative. And right. so I think, I think that um, those perspectives are so important. And one of the things that I really like about owning my own practice and having a firm is that we bounce these cases off of each other. Um, if we run into an issue or we're need another perspective, then you know, each of us feel very free about, you know, coming to the other goal and saying, you know, hey, can it, can you give me another point of view on this? Or what would you do in this particular case? We do a lot of, we do a lot of one-on-one meetings where per, in particular with our employment law cases, we'll meet and talk about those cases and, you know, what do you think the next step should be? Or, you know, this is a particular situation we've run into and, you know, this is what I was thinking. What are you, what, you know, what's your perspective on it? So we're always, I wouldn't say we work together on every single case, but I think we're just in an environment where we really appreciate each other's opinions and we respect each other. Right. You need that. Right. So I want to, and I, and I want to, I want to dig into this a little bit more. You are a, right now you're an all female firm, correct? Right. That was not purposeful, but it, it's it just is all that way. how it is. Yeah, it yeah. is how it is. Um, and so what's interesting to me is you have been, lately you have been really getting into this, uh, a lot of sexual harassment type work where you are sexual harassment um, cases and uh, speaking on the topic of sexual harassment and going and educating, educating organizations and companies on sexual harassment in the workplace. And, you know, what kinds of, and it's interesting being a, an all-female firm is probably not something that you're <laughs> that you guys are having to deal with. Um, uh, but what kinds of experiences are you having as you're going out and you're talking about this? You're in Oklahoma, pretty conservative part of the world up there, correct? Right. right. Uh, it is. It is a red state. Um, but I would say, you know, you, you're going to encounter sexual harassment. I have done plaintiff's work with sexual harassment, you know, throughout the time that I've had my practice. Um, one of the reasons I feel so passionately about this is just from my own hiring experience. When I, when I um, moved back home to Oklahoma City and one of the contributing factors to me starting my practice was I was going on interviews uh, with potential employers, and one employer in particular told me that he thought I would be really good at my job because sex sells. Wow. And I thought to myself, well, 
thanks. I, you know, as a typical female, you kind of smile and you think, okay, do I want the job that bad that I can put up with this this statement and and what the environment is probably going to be like? Uh, So, uh, needless to say, I mean, that was off-putting, but I went, I talked to um, my father about this particular statement, and he's an entrepreneur in Oklahoma City. And I told him about what had just occurred at this particular interview, and he told me, you know, basically screw them. You're going to start your own business. And... Um, just kind of lit the fire. And that's how I came to starting my own practice. So when I see that this is still going on in the workplace and I I have a particular um, personal passion behind helping out uh, both females and males from having to put up with this in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we have done... Um, We have done this seminar, and it's this training with uh, employees where we essentially talk about what can be the consequences. What is sexual harassment? Um, What are the consequences? What are your rights? How do you recognize it? How do you uh, respond to it? Uh, And then inevitably, how do you report it? And Um, We've done this with the local tribes, and we're going to be doing it with some private businesses. So it's it's been an exciting kind of labor of love, I guess you could say. Right, right. It it is it is amazing to me how on uh, how ongoing and pervasive it still is. Um, I mean, I've been, uh, you know, I'm in my mid fifties and which is shocking to me, quite frankly, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, so I've been in professional workplace for a long time and, um, I look back on my career and all of the, you know, experiences I've had, it it was very common in the eighties and nineties for men to say things to women that were, you know, that would get you fired and sued right now in a heartbeat. And, uh, but it, it amazes me. I see in, in a lot of the social media discussions now, women attorneys talking about the things that are said to them in courtrooms by judges and lawyers on a daily basis. That is just, it's just appalling to me that and these are people who should know better. I mean, lawyers and judges if lawyers and judges can't get it right, I mean, it, it's just really blows my mind. And so there's a huge need out there for sure. Yeah, it's it's disappointing to see that it still goes on. That being said, in particular cultures, it's accepted still. So, I mean, that's why this training is needed. And that's why we're going out and talking to people that may not even realize that they're violating the law or they're creating a hostile work environment. It's become so common practice to make comments or, you know, do it the way that the good old boys have always done it, that 
they they don't see the error in their ways. And so so that's why I think this training is needed. It's it's really timely and we've gotten a lot of good feedback too, particularly with women that have come and said this is so needed or, you know, it was eye opening. Even a lot of men that we've done training for have said, Well, now I now I know I need to watch myself or right. Um, so, I mean, a lot of it is just recognizing those behaviors that maybe you haven't even thought of. Right. It'd be interesting to see if it's, uh, the impact that it has, uh, if you'll start seeing it reflected in your, in your work, you know, if if you'll start seeing the cases as a result Mm -hmm. of going out and doing this speaking, if, if you'll start seeing women coming forward more women coming forward and saying, I want to sue my employer on sexual, you know, for sexual harassment, because a lot of the cases that you're doing now in your employment law are related to what, what kinds of cases do you get? So employment law, we take a lot of discrimination cases. Um, I'd say the things that I might see most often are like ADA and disability cases. Occasionally, actually, probably more recently than ever, I've seen a lot of race cases, things like nooses, you know, slurs. Uh, You know, I don't know if it's due to political environment or not, but I am seeing more of those. But the sexual harassment, where I am seeing it hit the most is a lot in, in in particular industries here that we have in Oklahoma, like the oil and gas industry, or I also see it in, um, I just see it in, in some small businesses that they don't realize how they are uh, being inappropriate or let's just say like sending things that they don't think are going to get out. So for example, you might see texts or pictures, or emails that are being forwarded, or um, people that are looking at pornography on their work computers in front of everyone else. You know, situations where there is unwelcome conduct that is offensive. And I'm, you know, I speak about females a lot in this particular situation, but I mean, it does affect males. And I have seen cases where, you know, there's even male-on-male harassment. So it's it's not just limited to females. It's just the majority of the clients that I tend to see tend to be female. And so what, you know, as employers, as employers, what are, what are some of the things that we can do, you know, as you know, a lot of the people listening to this are women, law firm owners, women business owners. So from a policy standpoint, what kinds of things should we be looking for, putting things in our policy manuals? Right. You definitely want to have a policy, a written harassment policy. And so I would model it after Title VII. I would make sure that you have uh, also any state law in there because there are certain state laws that uh, are more protective than 
um, than what federal law allows for. Um, and then I would set up a system for how you are going to um, approach a situation uh, if you get confronted with someone that says, look, I've been sexually harassed in the workplace. So it's like an investigative process. What are you going to do as a business owner? And you need to act promptly. And so I think um, those kinds of things are really important. But along with that, training. Training specifically of your supervisors and management. I mean, mm -hmm. if there's somebody that is in a capacity to be able to hire, fire, or discipline one of your employees, then you've got to do uh, some training of those uh, management personnel that are going to be able to essentially hold your company liable. So you've got to, you know, whether it's whether it's a, a harassment training or it's somebody or you just go ahead and say you need to do an investigative report anytime that there is this type of harassment or there's even the accusation of it. So I think having those things in place is so important. It can just help employers to have a defense. You can't really, you can't control your employees, but you want to be able to defend yourself if you do get sued. Right. And having those things in place, it just will, it will help to show also your employees that you do care about having a, a work environment that's free of harassment. Right. Like we just did a training on this people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, with social media being what it is and workplace relationships and things like that, there's just, you know, so many of those kinds of things, particularly as firms get bigger and bigger, you know. So back to your, um, back to your, uh, business because we are running out of time here today. Um, I do want to get in a, a little bit more discussion about your, your business and just some of the, before we wrap up, some of the lessons that you think that you have learned along the way in growing your practice. Um, you've been in practice for how long now in, in owning your own firm for how long? How long have you owned your own firm? Uh, it's over 10 years. I think over it's 10 11 years. this year. I don't oh, know. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I lost so count over now. A decade. Now you can say decade. <laughs> so, so what do you think are some of the key lessons for somebody who's on that solo to CEO journey behind you? Um, what are some of the lessons that you think you've learned that they could benefit from your experience that you could share? I think, I think one of the things that you, if you're going to be an entrepreneur period is you have to wake up every day and be ready to seize whatever opportunity is in front of you. You've got to have a good attitude for the most part. I think you know, even on your worst days, I mean, it doesn't mean you have to be happy all the time, but you've got to have some kind of hustle in you mm -hmm. uh, because there are highs and there are lows when you own your own business. And so yeah. 
I would say that um, you have to, you just have to know that you're in it for, it's a marathon. It's not going to, there's going to be unforeseen circumstances that are going to come up and you are going to be able to see what you're made of at that point. But I'd say, you know, be prepared to work hard. Don't get discouraged by the learning curve because particularly when you first start your practice, there is going to be a learning curve. You are going to be, you probably should be banking on working a lot of hours in the beginning if, you know, you're not already. Anything, anything that comes up, I mean, any challenges that come up, try to find a way to find some, you know, silver lining or some kind of excitement in it. And, and try to not take any one loss too hard. Uh, that was really difficult for me when I first started out my practice. And I thought, oh, I'm going to help everyone. And I'm going to find the solution for everybody that walks in here. <laughs> and, you know, you can have a heart that wants to help. But you also have the limitations of the law. And I think that that's one of those things that you have to you have to know that there's so many different variables that go to, into each case. You know, try not to carry that weight home with you. Be able to leave it at the office, and then recognize when you need a mental health day. Right. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. I need a day off. I need a day off. I'm gonna just take this day. I need a recharge, and you know, we'll go back at the battle tomorrow. Right. And, um, but, um, I think, you know, that's one of the things that I would say that I've learned after all of this time It's look, it's not going to be, you know, a straight road to success. There's going to be some dips in it, but just know that you're in it for the long haul and there's a silver lining and even in any bad situation, there's so many things that you can learn from it. Right. And it's right. just going to make you better in the end. Speaking of that, you are, what, what is your, what is your silver lining in all of this? What is your, what is the, the thing you love most about having your own firm? Well, for one, I like that I get to be around the people that I want to be around every day because I get to select those people. I also just, I like the flexibility. I like being in control of my own destiny and uh, the excitement that comes with, you know, trying to get more clients and seeing your business grow. Um, you know, that same, same with having that flexibility. There's also downsides. Sometimes, you know, you are without staff for whatever reason, maternity leave, you know, someone, someone was sick or someone, had a relative pass or whatever, and you might have to work longer hours or more or, and all of that weighs on you. You have to be willing to take that responsibility on. But at the same time, for me, it's been really rewarding in the fact that I can kind of set my schedule. Um, I have small children, so I can go and be available to pick them up from school every day and then put them to bed and, and, you know, feed them, put them to bed and be able to, you know, pick up again when I go home. If I need to finish something up, then I have that flexibility and I don't have to, 
you know, conform to a, a particular schedule of hours. So I think those are the things that I like the most. Yeah, I know that was a huge, um, that was a huge decision for you, particularly in the last couple of years to, uh, you made an intentional decision to make a shift in your firm so that you could spend, be available more for your kids and spend more time with your family, but you didn't want the firm to suffer. You wanted it to grow, in fact, and you were able to right. do that. You were able to, to grow the firm, keep it growing, and also have some more time with your family. So, and a, a decision that you probably wouldn't have been able to use, something that you wouldn't have been able to have as much control over probably had you been working with a firm, somebody else's firm, you know? Right, um, definitely. And that was a huge priority for me. I mean, it, and it was also a really big shift in how I worked because I was, I, you know, my first baby was this business. <laughs> so it was really hard for me to give up being here as much and give up that what felt like control, right? Like right. being here feels like I'm in control of everything. But <laughs> so you had to do you, change the way you were thinking about it. Right, right. I totally have had to adjust it. And and now I really think when you hire the right people and they have the same passion and they have the same and you, you feel like you can trust them, then you know, you you have a certain level of freedom to say, Okay, well, I'm leaving this in good hands and you know, I'll be able I'll be able to adjust my schedule accordingly and, and know that my clients are being taken care of. Right. Right. Well, Catherine, thanks so much for being here and talking with me today. I think this has been a really great episode and anybody listening to it is going to learn so much. So I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing with us. Well, thanks for having me. Um, tell us where we can find, uh, find out more about your law firm on the internet. Okay, so um, we have a webpage, MazaharyLawFirm.com, and uh, we have a Facebook page, MazaharyFacebook.com uh, forward slash MazaharyLaw. We have a Twitter page under Mazahari Law Firm. We also have an Instagram page under Mazahari Law Firm. So you'll you're if, everywhere if you like us <laughs> if you like us yes we were we're active marketers so um if you like us you can follow our posts and see what we're up to and see how we're growing great great thanks so much i really appreciate you being here and uh it took me a while to get you on the podcast but i'm really glad that i did <laughs> yeah yeah i'm happy we did too the Solo to CEO podcast is sponsored by D. Frederick Media and Marketing and the Solo to CEO system. We help professional women entrepreneurs transform from solos to CEOs of high impact, high revenue generating businesses while reclaiming their time and creating the lifestyle of their dreams. If you are ready to skyrocket your revenue, cultivate a crackerjack team, and set up systems and automation to get your firm running like a well-oiled machine so you can focus on the highest and best use of your time, then you'll want to attend our latest presentation, Six Shifts to Transform Your Solo Practice into a Seven-Figure Firm with Total Ease. Register at law.solotoceo.biz webinar.